from the Defense Acquisition University, this is the Learning Circle. Welcome to the Learning Circle. This is Anthony Rotolo, and I'm joined today by Clark Aldrich. Clark Aldrich is well-known in the learning and development field and very well-known for his books and articles and presentations on educational simulations and serious games. He and his work have been featured in all the major media outlets like CBS and ABC, to the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. His sixth book is called Short Sims, A Game Changer. I'm thrilled to have him with us today to discuss the book. Clark, welcome to The Learning Circle. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so happy to have you. Your new book, Short Sims, A Game Changer, very exciting title. It's coming at a time when the industry is really looking for a lot of solutions. We've seen a democratization of tools more and more. We've got the ability to to create stuff. We can reach for the production value when we want it. We can also reach for the elegant solutions where we want to do more. We want to produce more content with less input, kind of the the elegant or economical solutions. And I think you're on that track with this proposal of short sims by way of your book. Let's just start off with a simple definition and we'll expand from there. Clark, in a nutshell, what are short sims? Short sims are short interactive experiences. They're typically about 10 minutes long and they take players through quite a few decisions. And there's a bunch of different ways of thinking about them. One way I think about them is if you're thinking of a more elaborate computer game, this is almost the sim of the sim. This is almost a, a way of presenting the simulation in sort of a simpler, more more blocky form. Uh, another way of thinking about short sims is how would e-learning have developed? How would online learning content have been developed if we did not have PowerPoints and books as our models? Uh, what if we had computer games as the models? And perhaps a third way of thinking about it is most traditional educational content is based around, you know, what is the one right way of doing things? And that's the center of the activity. And what I like to think about, and certainly when producing short sims, I like to do is think, what are the interesting decisions? Where are places that people go wrong uh, in following a given process or in thinking about something? And so it's, it's, it focuses on where things go wrong and it does that by presenting a series of interesting decisions to the user, uh, which tends to be a little more active and a little more fun and, and ultimately a lot more productive. I like the point you made about how what if e-learning had started with different uh, references to model itself after. Most e-learning takes the form of a book metaphor with pages or slide decks, as you pointed out. But this is something that's very different. And most of us think about interactivity in the form of assessment. So one of the great tragedies, perhaps, of education so far is that when we think of educational content, we think of tests. Uh, we think of assessing people. And we've lost the, the, the reality that uh, making interesting decisions is fun, and we're all good at that. Sid Meier, who developed the Civilization computer games, you know, said very profoundly that you know, a good computer game is a series of interesting decisions. Uh, and I think that's true of education as well, that a good educational experience is almost like a conversation, but almost is us making decisions. Uh, and if we make the right decision, then we don't even think about it and we keep going. But where we make the wrong decision, it's an opportunity to think and, and, uh, and understand what we got wrong and why. And some decisions are simply preferences that, you know, do you like tea or coffee? And so that has its own slight impact as well. So I think it's, it's a series of interesting decisions rather than let's listen to a smart person tell us how smart that person is. I like what you said about that. It really is like a conversation. There is kind of this feedback loop. Now, you definitely place a premium on interactivity. The problem with that word in our industry, we hear it all the time, but it's often conflated and mingled with concepts like engagement or just merely the, the media, the richer media that's being used. What do you mean by interaction and why is it so important in this? When you're making a series of interesting decisions – it impacts you in a way that other things don't. So, you know, interactivity can be twitch speed or moving quickly. Uh, interactivity can be, you know, which of these five things do you want to listen to first? And then when we're done with that, you can, you know, four options left, uh, which isn't interactivity as much as, a, you know, an index table. Uh, but how do you get people thinking about things? And let me give you one example, which is the one I start off the, uh, the book of short sims with. And that is 
Um, suppose you can earn $10 an hour and it's Monday afternoon. Instead of working, you decide to rent a two-hour movie for $5. How much does renting that movie cost you? And I can give you two possible answers of so the interactivity perhaps. You know, one answer is $5, the cost of renting the movie, and the other is $25. And most people in the world say, oh, the, the cost is $5. Oh, no, wait, it's 25 because you suddenly realize there's an opportunity cost in doing that. So in that kind of interaction, it's not in a test. No one gets that question wrong. No one's ever gotten that question wrong when they've given it to them. But it's, it's because they have to answer it, they think about it. And because they have to think about it and they're only given two choices, they basically invent a theory of opportunity cost. And so it's, it's, there's a, something profound when you have to make decisions uh, that changes how you approach content. Even when the stakes and perhaps especially when the stakes of getting it wrong aren't overly high, it's not a matter of, oh, you're going to fail or, oh, you are going to get yelled at or something. But it's just, you know, we want to be right. Uh, and it's fun when we get it wrong because then we have this great opportunity of, of learning. Clark, when we were speaking just before the interview, I understood that you have just produced a, a very relevant subject for a short sim. It's about coronavirus in the context of company training. Tell us a little bit about that. I wonder if you could make this idea of these simple decisions a little more vivid for us. Sure. So a lot of employees are being asked to or will be asked to go back to the workplace and they're scared and they're nervous. They're not quite sure the reasons why the, those decisions are made, but they have to go back. And so what I created was a short sim that takes someone through a hypothetical generic first day uh, going you know, back to work. And so there's a, a lot of little decisions. So one decision is, you know, you're getting into the car early in the morning. Do you bring your bandana or not? Or do you bring your, you know, your old <laughs> mask or not? You know, you get in the car, you, you drive to work. Do you put on the mask in, in the parking lot or not? You approach the guard station. There's two people in front of you. How close do you get while you're waiting in line to the person in front of you? Is it one foot or is it, or is it 10 feet? Uh, you know, you get to your cubicle and everything's been rearranged. There's, you know, there's guards everywhere. There's plexiglass. There's you know, new rules. Do you wear your mask at your cubicle? Uh, someone comes up and approaches, uh, approaches you to talk to you. That person is not wearing a mask and the person is standing a foot away from you talking loudly. What do you do? Do you put on your mask? Do you ask the person to back up? Do you say, let's do this meeting virtually? Uh, you know, you, you go to the bathroom and as you go to the bathroom, there's a doorknob. Do you touch it with your hand? Do you look for something to grab onto it? You know, someone else is in the bathroom. Do you wait for them to come out or not? So there's, a, there's so many little decisions uh, that we have to make uh, you know, you get your box lunch. Where do you eat it? Do you eat it in the in the uh, in the empty cafeteria? Do you eat it uh, at your cubicle? Do you eat it outside next to someone? Do you eat it outside by yourself? Um, there's a million little decisions, and each of these are kind of interesting. Your boss calls you and says, "Hey, let's have a meeting." And you say, you know, how many people can we have at this meeting? And, you know, is it five? Is it 10? Is it three? Uh, let's say it's four people. Do we have it in a small meeting room or a big meeting room? How long is this meeting going to be? Should we wear masks or not? Uh, all of these questions. And so, you know, it's one thing to say, here's a list of 15 bullet points to present it to you. But it's a lot more interesting. and It's a lot more informational. Uh, to to play this experience out and to see people, other people wearing masks and to see your cubicle with plexiglass shields around it and to, you know, go down to the cafeteria and have it be a box lunch rather than a, you know, a, a serving uh, the way it normally is. All these things are interesting to see visually and all of these decisions. And again, you're making about 30 or 40 little decisions. Um, all those are interesting to make. And if we do this in a short sim. Uh, before in preparation for going back to work, then people can can make these decisions and think about it but not be surprised. You know, someone's coming towards you, reaching out their hand saying, hey, it's great to see you. It's been a while. What do you do? Do you grab their handshake like we normally would or do you back away and say, yeah, uh, you know, let's <laughs> let social distance. So I think all these things, the more you're you're allowed to go through them uh, in the simulation, the, uh, the the more you're prepared to do them in life. The other slight side of this is, you know, that simulation took about uh, about a week and a half for, for me to make. It was not a, you know, high production, super 3D graphic thing. The, the graphics are all simple and isometric like an old computer game. Uh, they are exactly sufficient enough to make the point, but not so much that they're hard to change. Uh, and so I think that that the discipline of doing of making it as good as you can, but also of not going overboard with the production values keeps it manageable and flexible and light and easy to change when clients ask for it to be changed. Yeah, you don't have this enormous thing to unwind now. You can really just edit rather easily. I like that whole description because it, it is this thing that puts the learner at the center of what is really a narrative that's unfolding as a consequence of each decision point. What does it look like, though, when you, if we kind of um, look at the structure of this thing in terms of how many decision points you're usually presenting and how it kind of expands out in terms of branches and destinations. 
So it's not branching. It's a million little, well, it's probably, uh, probably two dozen or, or, or 30 decisions that you're making. You don't go in, in you know, if you make a decision, you know, you can't make a decision to not go to work or you can't make a decision to, uh, you know, play hooky or something. Uh, so it's not fully branching in terms of it's going to take you down different narratives depending on how you do it. That's if, you know, everyone who goes through it. And by the way, there's, there's some real problems with that kind of choose your own adventure story, which tends to work really, really well in an academic environment where people like playing with it, but really badly in a corporate environment where sort of everyone wants to, you know, get the right answer, so to speak. But it's, it's a lot of decisions. And so from my development perspective, you know, the first question was, you know, what are all the kinds of decisions that someone has to make? Uh, and then once I have those and I broke them up into levels, what are the, the story beats during the course of a day? OK, you wake up in this case, you wake up and you you go to work an hour later than you than you usually would because they're staggering. You know, they're, they're staggering um, work hours. And that's not necessarily an interesting decision, but it's an interesting little fact to throw out there because, again, it allows people to to be aware of this new work process. Um, so I, t- I take all these decisions uh, and I break them up into levels. Uh, and, you know, level one is you wake up and level two is, you know, you get in your car and level three is you go guard station. Level four is sort of a cubicle. Level five is going to the bathroom. Level six is uh, going to lunch, whatever. And so, you know, you sort of break them out into those little levels. Each level probably has three or four decisions that you make. And the nice thing about that format is it's really easy to, to restructure levels. If you suddenly realize you want to, to want to move things around, just, you know, you just switch around a level. So from a design perspective, it's really easy. Uh, I built this simulation to be easy to customize. So a client may say, Hey, that's great, but we don't care about cubicles. What we care about is our laboratory or what we care about is our manufacturing floor. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's easy to swap out those two or three levels that deal with being in a cubicle with something that's more appropriate to a, to a, to a given client. Um, and then from once I kind of created the, the, the structure, the, the decisions, I first used words because words are really, really cheap. Uh, and then once I had all the words down, um, I broke out some uh, isometric graphics. So, again, it has sort of that 3D look uh, of the person going through this world and, you know, m- making all these decisions and getting some visual feedback as well. Uh, and so that's sort of the harder part. So, um, you know, I did that part last, but, um, you know, once the content was basically fixed, uh, but it's the same thing too, is it's very easy to take that same, the same graphics and throw in, you know, a laboratory or throw in some scientific equipment or throw in a forklift or throw in a, uh, you know, a fast food assembly line or whatever. So everything is built from the ground up to be very, very modular and easy to swap, uh, rather than something that's more elaborate. Yeah. That's very attractive about this from a development standpoint is that you're offering, a development prospect that's fast and iterative and readily editable. How many development hours tend to go on average into producing a short sim? The average short sim takes an expert or, you know, someone who's fairly experienced in it about 35 or 40 hours to produce. So in theory, one person could do one a, one a week. Realistically, this, um, for example, this uh, get back to work <laughs> sim uh, was about 10 days not full time, but sort of part time. So it's it's that basic time frame. It's and and that's really important because we you know as we think about content and I built very very complicated AI driven real time rendering 3D um, games and uh, you know for, for educational purposes uh, and there's a terrific appeal to that. But we you know we have to think in terms of content that meets the needs of both learners and sponsors. And most of the ways that we do content today actually meets neither need. Uh, it sort of t- takes too long, so it makes the sponsors mad, and it's not effective enough, so it makes the sponsors mad. But it's also not very engaging. It's kind of it's boring and dreary uh, and not very uh, effective for the learners. So we have we sort of mastered this a process to developing content that makes neither side happy. If you do short sims as an approach, I think you can make both sides happy. You can make your sponsors happy because the development time is not that long. The other real advantage of a short development time, and there's a lot of them, is is that you can, you know, you start building content serially. You're not building the one giant master course that does everything. You know, you're building one module, and when it's, you know, and, and if you don't get scope creep, if you get something that's new, you just, you know, you, you do that in the next short sim. So you start developing series of short sims, not just not just the one giant course. But also makes the learners happy because it's a, it's a lot more fun to go through a light narrative in this case, make decisions that, that feel very relevant. Um, all the decisions have, you know, feel very impactful in terms of things you're going to do. Uh, and so it's really fun. That's a fun way of learning. It's a fun way of going through this, this theoretical day or this theoretical customer engagement or, you know, driving this theoretical car or whatever, making a bunch of decisions. The nice thing about it is that as you're learning, if you make something, if you make a wrong decision, you know, you're, you know, you're told it's wrong, you're given some feedback, boy, if you've done that, this is what would have happened. And, you know, isn't that bad. 
But then you get to make the choice again. And obviously, you know, you can make it right that time. So almost every single person, by the time they're done with a short sim, has made enough right, you know, has has made all the right decisions as well as as many wrong decisions as they want. So it feels good. uh, And it feels sort of like it's a very natural way of learning. It's how we learn in the real world. So it's a lot less contorted um, than, again, the PowerPoint or the talking head stuff, which I always found to be dismal. So structurally, you're, they're getting that feedback. They understand the consequences of this or that decision. But in terms of the structure of what you're building, you're putting them further along uh, after that in the, this linear path. It's just that Which is immensely yeah. more satisfying. Um, again, the first time anyone does a short sim, they want to do what you're talking about. They want to create three or four alternative narratives that go down different paths. And those things – Again, when you think about well, first of all, most learners actually don't like that uh, because they want they want the, they want they want all the content. They don't want to you know make decisions when they now feel like they've they've left stuff behind. So that's sort of unsatisfying for them. But also for the sponsors, it's very very frustrating because it's very hard for an expert to de- you know to to review this content. Uh, frankly, if lawyers are involved, it's very hard for them to review the content. And so you you know you're creating content that is almost self indulgent on the developer's part to say see how clever I am. But from a practical perspective, there's very very little value of it. The thing the area where I'm going to push back on myself uh, is saying for for an academic audience and for parts of a military audience. In other words, where place where people are learning full time, you know they are there to learn which again, typically is military and, and uh, higher ed especially, but, but lower down as well. You know, if you're an MBA student, for example, you know, you're there to learn. And so in those situations, uh, you can go a, a lot more elaborately in terms of the, the design and they appreciate it more and they'll sort of embrace it more. But for most audiences, um, they really want effective, simple, straightforward. And by audiences, again, I don't just mean the learners, but also the, uh, the people who are paying for it because they really want, you know, let's do this thing as let's make it fun. Let's make it engaging, but you know, but also very efficient. Yeah, I like what you said earlier about how the you know, that branch with all the the other ways that something can terminate when it's a sort of a pyramiding structure. <laughs> we know that you know there's this like iceberg under the surface. We're only getting the tip of it, which is the experience we just had. Uh, and we yeah, we're kind of leaving a lot on the table, and sometimes we're kind of retracing steps and starting over again. And, um, yeah, it's actually unsettling for people to go through. Again, it's the old thing, you know, if you have one watch, you know what time it is. If you have two watches, you're never sure. That was, it's a a joke from before computer days, but still. (laughs) Um, so I think, I think that that is very, uh, unsatisfying, um, as well. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think the, but having said all that, there is a terrific use for creativity. And I, and I, you know, for me, I want to, I want to put every single hour, I want to put every single erg of creativity into the interface, into the design, uh, into the, the cleverness of the decisions. I want to be, I want to put forth really interesting decisions that are both hit strategic issues as well as tactical and ideally both at the same time. Uh, and so I, I think there's a terrific opportunity to be immensely clever, to be immensely sneaky, uh, to be, to be devious. I love being devious and trying to get people to do the wrong things if you know if they if they would do the wrong thing in the real world i want to trick them into doing the wrong thing in the simulation too uh so that i can give them fair feedback not create a situation where they're just going to be you know modeling what they think the right behavior is so there's a terrific use i, I want to use everyone's creativity and, de- and deviousness and budget uh to create this incredibly you know satisfying experience i don't need the creativity in in playing out three or four different branching scenarios uh, but i do need it in interesting decisions and context the other part of a good short sim that I have found, again, is a war on words. Uh, how can we trim the words as much as possible? Um, there's the old quote, you know, uh, the design is done not when there's nothing more to add, but when there's nothing more to take away. And I think we do that with short sims too, where, you know, every time I go through the short sims in the last third of the development process, I'm just taking stuff out. How can I get rid of a word here? How can I get rid of a word there? How can I simplify it and streamline it? And so the finished product is a very sort of elegant, efficient process. Perhaps the bad part is you don't. Someone who's playing it doesn't really appreciate all the thought you put into it. But uh, again, I can live with that. No, well, well, design is a very reductive thing. You're you're uh, you're hitting Strunk and White rule number seventeen, where we just omit unnecessary words, and you know you you wind up with a very efficient narrative as a result. It sounds like. And the other fun, so the other fun part about about a simple design um, is that you can take feedback and you can actualize it. So the other tricky part about developing more complicated uh, simulations is you almost don't want feedback because you can't do anything with it. Someone can say, "Well, I don't really like the interface," or someone can say, "I don't like the color scheme," or "I don't like this 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 
interaction very much. And at that point, there's not much you can do with it. The nice thing about the short sim, and I did, and I had a about a week period where I gave this uh, sim, this uh, coronavirus back to work sim, to a bunch of friends, and they all came up with a lot of really good criticisms in terms of well, that wouldn't that wouldn't work that way, or this doesn't work, or that has changed. Uh, and I can take all of those and make those changes in real time, basically, uh, and turn around the sim and, and show it to them again and say, see, you know, see, how I made all your changes. And I think that is, I think the ease of change uh, ha- plays to the benefit of the product in multiple spots. The more simple you have it, again, the easier it is to change when when you do find errors. And so I think that's a, a, another part of it. Absolutely. It takes a lot of fatigue factor out of just the development process. And, you know, yes. of, of, you know there's, there's uh, you know, too much iteration to, to get things done, but this is pretty efficient. Back to that uh, metric that you gave, uh, let's say it's 40 hours to produce, just rounding mm-hmm. up to produce a short sim. Yes. We typically traditionally think in terms of, seat time and how many learning objectives get covered. How how do you make the comparison between a short sim and how we traditionally quantify, you know, student contact time and, you know, how many learning objectives will be covered? So it takes me about 40 hours, 35, 40 hours to create a, about a 10 minute sim, uh, which takes again, the player about 10 or 12 minutes to go through if they, if they redo a bit. Um, and in that time, they probably learn the equivalent of about 30 minutes of traditional content. Uh, so that's about what I consider to be equal measures. That is very interesting. Looking at the student experience, which is really the, the most important thing in the end, we're using their time very well. Another – And, and yeah. also, and there's, there's using it – so there's, there's using it in terms of how much time do you take up. There's the payback for it in terms of how good do they feel about it? Uh, did they get what is worth it? And the third part of it is sort of, you know, was it a good process or not? Did, did they, you know, they go through a short sim. Are they looking forward to the next one? And I think that's, you know, that's the other part of it is sort of, you know, so and part of that, are they looking forward to it deals with the, did they feel like they learned something? Was, was their time not just spent, but well spent? Um, but again, it's also, you know, that was fun. That was a fun way of learning. I, you know, I enjoyed the process. Like, you know, I, I want more of these. And so I think reducing sort of learning fatigue is a huge issue as well. Uh, and I think I've seen some cultures get up to around one short sim a day in terms of production and rolling out. And that's a very comfortable number for a lot of people. Most people actually like, you know, doing a one 10 minute sim a day uh, and going through it and then, you know, then moving on and, and, and thinking about it. So uh, I think, you know, how much how much burden do we put on the students has at least those three legs. What does the evaluation look like? I don't know if you're using Kirkpatrick or other method of gauging the effectiveness and, and the student happiness. I mean, what kind of smile sheets in the good sense of it are you getting in reaction to these short sims? Um, very good. I mean, they're, they're, I look at I look at replayability. And so some sims are designed just to be one and done. Uh, but some sims are designed to be replayed and some design, uh, some sims are designed to be passed on to other people. What's been fascinating about this coronavirus sim uh, is for a bunch of reasons, including the topic is so timely, but it, that one's been really passed on a lot. You have the option of passing it on and, and people are doing that. And so um, so that's a huge you know, indicator when there's voluntary consumption of the sim and voluntary you know, getting excited about it and sharing it with other people. So that's always a very good sign. In some sims too, there is replaying it the uh, another one that's on my site is called be the hacker which is an experience of you know what are some decisions you make if you're a hacker in terms of in terms of stealing money uh, and that one most people replay that one three or four times uh, and sometimes they replay it after they they get the best answer because they're just sort of intrigued by the material so replayability is something that you can measure you can measure within a given sim the patterns of behavior and this is advanced stuff so uh, this is not for for uh, first timers. But if you're building out three or four short sims, you can look at patterns of behavior, let's say applying the scientific principle or applying good cybersecurity um, safety rules, or perhaps in the coronavirus, you know, social distancing, uh, you can start measuring some broad themes of behavior within the sim over the course of multiple decisions. And you can see if they are starting to learn things or not. Uh, and so it's sort of to some degree, uh, it it meets sort of a holy grail of a lot of learning programs where you can measure behavioral changes in the context of the sim. You don't need to go outside of it. Now, again, this is something that has to be done very deliberately, and I wouldn't recommend it for most people's first short sims, but it is a place to which you can get if you want to. 
That's exciting. Now, we're hearing another term in the industry these days. It's called microlearning. I, I recently interviewed uh, Dr. Carl Kopp, who writes the introduction to your book. We spoke about microlearning, what that's good for, what it isn't good for. Is a short sim, does that qualify for the definition of microlearning or is it a shade different? How, how do you define those? A short sim is a 10-minute piece of content. And so if you put it out by yourself, again, if you rolled out one a day, for example, in a corporate environment, that would be sure that that would be micro learning. Uh, if you combine three or four of them together and you put some other context between it, it might be an hour long course, uh, in which case, no, it would not be micro learning. It'd just be a little module of things. So the name isn't really important. Um, you know, I, I think, I, I think the, the trend of micro learning is a very exciting one. It's fun to see how good we can make things and how short we can make things. Uh, and I think short sims are consistent with the trend, but I think in the same way that two corks are going to, you know, bob up and down on the, on the water, not because they're connected, but because they're being influenced by the same thing. Uh, I think so too. Uh, I think there is a general feeling that shorter is better if we can make things shorter. And so that same motivation has motivated the creation of micro learning as a structure and then also has created short sims as a, as a one approach to it. And again, like micro learning, I'm using that as a reference. Um, Please. How, how are you applying the sims? Are they for both new learning or are they also for battling the forgetting curve on the, the other side? How, how are you applying it? They're applied for anything. I mean, short sims is a very generic concept. Uh, short sims can be used for a, a huge variety of things. Uh, and so, you know, it's almost like writing. I mean, getting a short sim creation engine for, for you know, and there's a bunch of them out there. Uh, Articulate uh, is a great one. Branch Track, uh, iSpring. Um, you know, these are all great tools for creating them. It's like giving someone a word processor. It's, you know, suddenly you, you know, the blinders are off and you can do anything you, you dang well want. I think almost the, the creativity uh, that you can bring to bear is is almost staggering. It's almost difficult for designers to to wrap their head around and say, wait a minute, I can do anything. I can do anything graphically I want. I can do anything verbally I want. I can set up any situation I want. And so, uh, you know, to any attempt to sort of say, oh, is it, does it fit into this box or that box is, is a little hard. Having said that, that's where we have to start. And so start, we will. Uh, it is very good for introduction of new concepts. Uh, it is very good for reinforcing concepts. Uh, in some cases I have built, I did for the Gates Foundation, uh, I built some short sims for various chapters in books they had. They had some textbooks and they wanted short sims sprinkled throughout. And it actually made a huge difference for me whether the short sim was at the beginning of a chapter or the end of a chapter. Because if it was at the beginning of a chapter, then it's sort of an introduction to the concept and let's break through some some false, um, and that's where the um, the opportunity cost, uh, Sim, I mentioned before, came up. Uh, let's break through some of your bad habits or some of your misperceptions, uh, and, and and let's you know let's ground you in some good in some good foundations. By the time you're at the end of the chapter, it's you know let's get deep, let's get nuanced, let's get wonky, uh, let's get into this stuff. And again, I'm going to assume if someone has made it through the chapter, they're they're leaning forward, they're, they, they understand the topic and now they really want to, you know, let's see if I can break this topic. Let's see if, see if I can, uh, undermine this topic. Let's see how, how well I really know this material. And so, you know, even within one chapter, the, the tone of the sim is going to change dramatically. Obviously now, as you're saying, the introduction to content, the, the, re, the reinforcement of content are all perfect uses of short sim, but probably not the same short sim. Now, part of the value proposition, if we can put it that way, is it seems like a lot of these Short sims, they are mostly textually driven, right? This is uh, words that we're generating. Are there instances where you have applied rich media like video or other things, or does that begin to undermine the value proposition in terms of ease of editing and revision? We have to fight tooth and nail against production creep, and we have to use we have to use exactly as much media is pedagogically valuable and not anymore, maybe a little more for, for story. Um, so, you know, if listening to a heartbeat is really important, then we're going to have an audio clip of a heartbeat. And, uh, you know, is this, is this normal or not? Um, you know, if there is some absolute pedagogical need for a video clip, by all means, we're going to do it. Um, I like loose graphics. I like some graphics. The uh, coronavirus sim, again, has a sort of a 3D old fashioned computer game, um, adventure game feel to it. Um, and that was, again, I think necessary because part of the experience of acclimating to this environment is seeing these things, seeing everyone wearing a mask, seeing these new plexiglass shields being installed. So that was really important to it and also made it a bit more fun. Uh, if I can get away with just words, uh, you know, I will. So even using background photographs cleverly, even stock photographs uh, can, can you know, convey the, the changing of environment. So if there's, a, if there's a situation where I start 
the sim in the office place. I might have you know the office out of focus behind me uh, while I'm talking to someone, and then I'm, I, I get in a cab, and so I can have the street behind me, and then get to the airport and have the airport behind me. So you know you can use all kinds of very clever approaches to very minimalistic uh, production values. If there's a, you know if there's a really important thing that okay here's a photograph is this photograph acceptable or not for this passport for example uh, obviously we're going to show the photograph so I think you use exactly as much as you need uh, and I think some of uh, you know a few visuals can go really really long way but it's really important not to uh, succumb to to production creep uh, and one of the real tragedies perhaps of our industry is so many of the awards are given to very high production value uh, products uh, which I think has encouraged us all to sort of think in terms of production value and that we give up so much uh, especially we give up the ability to edit on the fly. And that's sort of the most tragic thing we give up when we go for high production value. Because every single time we, you know, we, we go through again a short sim, we're making little changes. We're changing, you know, we're changing one word. We're adding something. We're subtracting something. We're adding one more choice. And if I was, ha- if those choices were audio driven, if I had those choices were being spoken, I couldn't add the one more choice that I just suddenly realized that I need without rehiring the actor and hoping that actor didn't have a cold and trying to set up the microphone so they're the same distance, which, as you know, is is really awful uh, and almost impossible. So we we the more production value we go towards, the more we resist calibration and change, and the less we can change things almost after the fact. So uh, I think we need to fight production value tooth and nail and make it efficient and good and lean and useful and engaging, but not succumb to graphic creep. Yeah, I love this conversation because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a developer and designer for many years from print and audio, video. I, I produce a lot of corporate video and audio, and but I'm the first person to ask if we really need the video, you know, because the... Sure, and those, those times, mean, you know, you do a video and literally three months later, the device they had in their hand is now four generations old and everyone says, oh my God, that is so April, 2020, you know? Um, and so, you know, technology itself makes video absolutely brutal. Um, but also again, the, the, the inability to make small changes is, uh, is just an absolute killer. Precisely, precisely where, so, um, in, in that example of audio and video, this podcast we're doing right now is a, a great example. We're going to spend 30 to 60 minutes together, and we'll have a finished product in a day or so. And uh, I don't think anything will go wrong, Clark, but I imagine if I had to call you up and said, hey, I lost 10 minutes of audio, it wouldn't a big, be a big deal to fix that, right? But with- well, it would be, except except that sound different, and that's that's the, the <laughs> that's, rub. And yeah. I, you know, we we've all done that, which is you know, we come back and my mic's a little differently, or the room's a little different, or I have a cold, or I'm or I no longer have a cold, or it's it's in the morning, and so I'm a little more zippy, or that's it's right. late in the night, and so I'm a little more draggy. And so even that situation, um, it is bloody hard, as you know better than I, to match up sound. Uh, you know, and and so you know, you have to do something to say, hey, this is shot a different day. So even that, even something as simple as that. Uh, I find maybe you're better. I mean, there are people who are very good at doing that, but I'm not one of them. No, I agree with you. And and that's a a great example because even, even though audio relative to video is easier, it's still fraught with those problems where text is always going to be the, the highest reach, the most ubiquitous and the, the easiest to produce medium. And the other part of that, I just want to, sorry, Mm -hmm. sorry, it's just, um, is, is it's WYSIWYG. And that's the thing that again, as the designer, you can go through it and you can just make little changes. Mm -hmm. And that, I think that what I want to do is give the power to everyone, everyone who's listening to this, who's interested in this topic, you can, you don't need to hire another actor. You don't need to, you know, you can use clip art. You can use, you know, you just have to be clever and smart and creative, but you don't have to have a staff. You don't have to have an, a, 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 you know, a production music team. You don't have to have, um, you know, voice actors. You don't have to have a PhD in computer graphics. And that's the thing is we've, we've set up all these barriers that have prevented people from making great content because we've sort of thrown all this stuff at them. And I think that if, if people listen to this podcast and come away with one thought, it's I can do this stuff and I can do it. Uh, I can do, I can make great content. And there's no question in my mind, you know, five years from now, looking back, the best content that we're, we're using as role models of boy, the 2020s were really great because great content, that content's going to become you know, made from a single person who's really clever and creative and knows the topic really well producing something using very simple technology. It's not going to be the big award-winning stuff. Uh, and so that's the real message is 
you know, there aren't any excuses to, to do this stuff. Uh, and, and you can do it and you can, you can calibrate it yourself and you can tweak it yourself and you can make it really great by yourself. You don't need these giant teams. That's an exciting litany you just rattled off. Let me ask you the tough question, though. Are there things that you would, would suggest short sims are not good for? Short sims are not really great for understanding cycles. Um, so when you're trying to understand a complicated situation, which involves interrelationships between things without any real person doing anything. So one very easy example, which is sort of the academic, is the water cycle. So there's this water cycle. There's, there's, there's clouds, there's rain, there's rivers and mountains and snow and stuff. And it's actually a really hard thing to turn into this kind of short sim because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a static model. You're not really doing anything. And so, you know, or in some cases, a, you know, a production chain or, or, you know, in a corporate environment or something of, you know, here's something, you know, here's a production cycle. The, when things are static, when things are, even when they're complicated static, but when you sort of look at it and your goal is to understand it, but not really understand a position in it, um, those tend to be fairly bad short sims, unfortunately, and I've tried to do a few of them. Those are all really, really hard. Um, short sims are really good when there is a when there's a position, when there's a person doing it. Now, a person can be doing an incredibly complicated math problem. A person can be doing some deep analysis, perhaps, of this water cycle or of this or of this of this production process. Um, but you know, where you're just trying to understand sort of this, these complicated boxes that fit together, I don't think short sims are very good at that. How about deep learning? Is are short sims suited to deeper learning? Short sims get you to deep learning through a series of shorter, more simple engagements. So most of the time, or a tremendous amount of deep learning, you can break down into, into little pieces. And oftentimes by doing, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of deep learning becomes excuses for something that's not really well understood. Uh, and therefore, you know, we use sort of uh, this maybe deeper Socratic or conversational methods or, you know, here's a bunch of books and come back with conclusion. Those tend not necessarily to, um, to actually drive any, any great conclusion. So I'm a little suspicious of the topic generically, but, um, a bunch of, a bunch of short sims, uh, together, you know, in some cases 10 or 15 or 20 that focus on different parts of it collectively can create a very interesting engagement of, of stuff. You know, at some point there's going to be, you know, you're, you're going to move beyond the ability to do this. And so, you know, in terms of, you know, PhD level work, you know, probably there's no way that a short sim can cover the heart of it, although it can help in some of the tools and some of the techniques to, to get there. That's interesting. So in aggregate, it's it's they they can cover a, a lot. They can, they can convey a lot of of knowledge. I think they are. I think they're as flexible as words are. And so if you say, "Can I use words to develop leadership skills?" Well, probably not. Even though we try a lot, um, you know, can we use short sims to develop leadership skills? Yeah, better because you know it's action oriented. Um, but in both cases, you know, it just it's not a matter of you know, what's the one short sim that's going to do it in some cases, like with, like with writing it, you know, you might have to write two books, you might have to produce, you know, 20 short sims for your, you know, used across your, your PhD class in leadership or whatever. So I think you can, you know, it's, it's not a one and done thing, but, but you can get there and, and collectively. Now, looking at this from the standpoint of the designer, you've, pro you've probably sold this pretty well. I think you, you have pitched this pretty well to the ISDs listening, but how does this leverage or enhance or further instructional systems design or the instructional systems designer who may have been really uh, immersed in the traditional forms of e-learning creation, more the standard formats that we, we mentioned early on in the interview versus a simulation does this enhance the discipline of instructional design? I think it'll ultimately be more a more important, generic, more powerful structure. But for now, I'll say two things. First of all, I think if you're a traditional instructor and you're developing courses, you will probably find that short sims represent about 40% of the content that goes into a course. And so if I were a traditional designer right now, uh, I'd be saying, okay, for an hour-long course, I want my student to be spending about 20 minutes or 25 minutes in short sims uh, and the rest in sort of the, the other content, including some video and audio and sort of the, the, tr the traditional scaffolding material. So I think that's a pretty good safe goal for right now. I think most people will find that number actually grows over time. But for now, I think that's a very safe thing. At the same time, I think you're doing your students a disservice if you don't have this much interaction. Um, the other side of the equation is we're starting to look at AI systems. We're starting to look at dynamic learning platforms. Again, that's my question. Um, and What's really interesting is 
so far, the failure of AI systems to measure people's their their ability to learn stuff and their and in some cases the decay rate of their knowledge, the failure of AI systems so far in this area of instructional design is because most instructional design leaves behind a really thin, useless uh, transcript of student behavior. So I can take a traditional course, I get a few multiple choice tests, and my my knowledge checks here or there, big whoop. Um, but mostly a measuring, you know, when do I start, start and when do I stop? And then a few, again, a few yes or no or multiple choice questions. What's nice about short sims, I think one, one of the killer apps, one of the greatest needs for short sims is for AI driven systems, because you're making a lot of decisions all the time. You're making a constant series of decisions. Every minute, you're probably making four decisions. Uh, and those decisions both have right or wrong components. In some cases, they have, you know, a little right or a lot right. In some cases, they have biased decisions in terms of, oh, you're, you know, you're gravitating towards this approach, towards, you know, blundering in without doing the research or you're, or you're over-researching or whatever. Uh, you're getting that information. But also, you, you're getting timing. And I think one of the things that we're just starting to understand is, the time of making a decision goes towards your your comfort level in a way that cannot be measured if you don't measure time. And so, you know, if I'm spending five seconds making a decision, uh, I know this stuff pretty well. If I'm well, if I'm making a decision less than five seconds, but if I'm taking you know thirty seconds or thirty five seconds, I'm still making the right answer, but it's taking me thirty five seconds. I'm pretty comfortable of saying, unless someone you know interrupted you, you're not really comfortable. You don't really know this topic. You're smart enough to figure it out. You know, I spent my life figuring out answers to questions I hadn't prepared for. Uh, but, you know, it took me more time and someone who is who is actually did their homework, uh, you know, would get the answer immediately. So uh, I think we're, you know, we've we're opening up this incredible new door to uh, to metrics. And especially as we, we want AI and predictive systems to dynamically present content, we need a much greater amount of content to to feed these systems. And I don't think we're going to do it through traditional methods. We have to have this kind of highly interactive or, or moderately interactive. Actually, when, once you get highly interactive, like a computer game, you actually develop way too much content, which is actually too hard to process unless you're like America's Army, which you can do that. But you need like a paradigm systems model to to do that. But, you know, for most of us, you know, it's, we, we need the Goldilocks amount of interactivity. We need just enough, not too much, not too little. And I think short sims are right now the right amount of content for these systems. Yeah, just I haven't used these short sims myself yet, but it, it, they just seem so engaging and providing uh, just just involving the student so much where they they have to think they have to interact with it and just that alone amounts to like an immersion that that occurs with the material they almost seem stupid that we just don't do these things. I mean, you, you look at these short sentences and you go, yeah, no, duh. Why? You know, of course, that's just, you know, that's the right way of doing it. And so it's not, you know, I mean, for me, I, I, I'm, I did a lot of this research by myself. I'm not pitching a great authoring tool. I'm not pitching a great, you know, Silicon Valley system. And I, I almost think if, if I had, if I had investors and I had to create this giant, uh, if I had to create this business model, this wouldn't be the approach I do. Um, anyone's going to look at these and go, this is simple. This simply is a simple make sense kind of way to do it. That's why I said at the beginning of this conversation, you know, this is the way we would have invented learning if we hadn't been, you know, been grown up on PowerPoints. This is simply, you know, a more natural way. Uh, this is the way we learn in, in the real world. And so I think that's the the dominant feeling is you're going to look at these things and you're not going to go, OMG, this is incredible. I can't, I'm going to call up a New York Times. Let's do a big feature story on these incredible new, no, it's not that at all. It's just like, yeah, these make sense. Why aren't we, you know, let's do everything this way. And I think, I think the utter simplicity is what's you know as attractive as and once you get past that threshold, then you start realizing that it does actually transform a learning process to a uh, to a collaborative leadership style, from a directive leadership style, from a you know changes the, the the research process. If you're doing the research, you know when you're asking experts not what is the right way of doing this, but what are common mistakes and why are those mistakes made? You know once you scratch the surface, like the Google search bar, which you know the, the Google search window is incredibly simple, but what goes on behind it gets more and more interesting. Same thing here. We, you you know you start realizing that you change your entire process of creating content, and that's very exciting. Yeah, you know, some epiphanies are just a blinding flash of the obvious, and I, I think and this is that's one of what those you're things. saying. Yeah. This is obvious. This is incredibly obvious. You, you get nuance, but it's like writing. It's obvious, but you know, you spend a minute master. You spend a minute, and you can do it, and you'll spend a lifetime mastering it. That's fantastic. Now, you've been doing this for a number of years with clients. It seems like it's something that can really be cultivated in the body of training in an organization. So I wanted to ask, what does the adoption look like in companies? Like, in other words, over time, 
when you look at their body of training, has it grown for some of these companies as a, a healthy proportion of their modality? Yeah, I think it's a, a couple of different answers. Like, first of all, how do you get into this? Probably the, the way that a lot of companies do it is they hire someone to build them a few short sims themselves. Uh, and then they then they start internalizing the process and start developing their own developers to do it. Because, again, part of the real joy is speed. And, and no matter how good the outside designer is, there's still going to be a latency period when working with an outsider that ultimately you want to bring inside. So you want to start off with an out, with an outside help helper uh then you want to bring it inside and start and start ramping it up from a production perspective and again forcing yourself to be as fast as you can uh in that mode um the the volume tends to go up every organization that i've worked with that has done short sims ends up doing more and more of them every year uh or every 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 month practically um and so it's it's just you know you start finding more and more uses for them uh, what's nice about short sims, and this is true, by the way, of assessment cultures as well. I've also worked with some assessment organizations who build items for a living. You know, they, they build test items. And those same organizations find building short sims to be a very, uh, you know, natural extension of what they have done. So they can use the same skill sets, but doing it, you know, in an in a, in a up, upside down kind of way. Um, so, you know, then they start doing it. And then, again, you just start increasing the volume. The really important thing is once you start thinking about content much more quickly. Unfortunately, when this whole coronavirus thing hit, uh, the training people did not really have a, a seat at the table because things had need to be decided fast and produced fast. And so, you know, if we think of content as being produced in a month or two months or three months with all the peer review and all the whatever that we traditionally do, um, the CLO is not at the table in this kind of crisis emergency things. Uh, and so, but suddenly if we start thinking about content as being producible in a week rather than in two months, uh, now we, now the CLO is invited to the table of saying, what are we going to do about this giant crisis that we have? And so the, the, the transformation is not just at the low level of, I'm going to, you know, we're going to produce content that looks like it's upside down versus the old stuff, but it's much more, it becomes much more strategic in terms of, I, as the CLO, can get in front of my backlog. I, as a CLO, can be proactive now. I, as a CLO, can have ongoing long-term relationships with the business units. I, as a CLO, can, can sit at the, C, at the CEO's table whenever a huge problem happens and be part of the solution. And I think that is, is much more transformational than just the, the, the low-level stuff, which is exciting, but, but not the big deal. It's an exciting prospect. And with this crisis that we're living through, we may be returning to environments that are a lot more constrained, a lot more resource-constrained strained. To be able to do more with less really solves that problem of how to, how to process a backlog, perhaps, that has uh, built up as well. The backlog is a really important thing. And again, every CLO I've ever met is facing a lot more people asking stuff of them. And this poor CLO always has to say, here's why I can't do it. Here's why I can't do it. Here's why I can't do it. And so what if you go into, instead of, you know, you're no longer producing the Encyclopedia Britannica, you're producing, you know, the nightly news. Uh, and that shift you know, from this giant st static stable thing to the next thing on the list uh, is, is, is incredibly invigorating. It's also a lot more fun. I mean, unfortunately, frankly, most people who are involved in the content creation in training and development, their primary skill set is doggedness. You know, they're, they're willing to just grind and grind and grind until something gets done. And, you know, that's wonderful and, and, and goodness, you know, bless you all. But I want the dominant motivation, to, uh, dominant attributes to be speed and creativity and cleverness. And uh, and I think and, you know, you do something and you see it out in the workplace, you know, a week later, that's a lot more fun than having to wait three months. So I think this does ultimately change the, the role of the people and people that are the most valuable inside the organization as well. Yeah, that certainly raises the happiness and satisfaction quotient. You know, you have to be Productive to be happy and happy to be productive. I think to see and take pride in your more, work. I think, yeah, to see more of your, your inputs is is a valuable thing. Yep, Clark, thank you so much. Uh, please tell us about the book and the resources that you have for those of us who want to get started. The book is called Short Sims: A Game Changer. And it's a very uh, it's it's a very helpful book. Uh, it's it's not theoretical. It uh, takes you through the stuff on, on a on a. It'll handhold you. One thing the book has, which I really needed, uh, is it has every single chapter has a web page that supports that 
chapter. And so, so you can play these things. So I, I, you know, frankly, no matter how much you hear me talk about it, until you start playing them, you're not going to understand it. You're not going to get it. Uh, the light bulb's not going to go off. So you need to play these things. And again, if you get the book, uh, every single book has has uh, lots and lots of, of again chapters with uh, lots of examples and demonstrations. You can play through those. You can see some of the code behind them. So it's a very much it's sort of a next generation book in terms of the actual physical paper is only part of it. But also you go to my site, www.shortsims.com. Uh, there's a bunch of examples to play. And I, I also have video clips of plays because for some reason people are still scared about, you know, engaging a sim on their own. And so I've often found it, funnily enough, it's very helpful for people who are just starting to, to get into this topic to watch just a few you know, videos of, of a playthrough of, of a sim. Uh, and then once they get sort of confident, then they decide to, to play themselves. And that's much better. But, uh, you know, I'll do, every, I'll do everything I can on the site and in person to, to get people over the hump of, of the fear uh, to the point where, where suddenly it just becomes, again, it becomes natural. The other thing to, to be aware of is sort of older people hate making decisions because um, they're so afraid of being uh, wrong. And that unfortunately has influenced a lot of content. However, uh, younger people love making decisions and, and they'd much rather learn from mistakes. So, uh, you know, the final thing to think about is, is um, you know, realize that our audiences tend to be younger and, and, and the producers tend to be older. And it's the younger people who love, who love engaging stuff. So uh, go to www shortsims.com and just bang around for a bit uh get the book if you're if, if it's stuff seems appealing to you uh and uh you know i think i guess the, the final thing to say there too is a lot of a lot of designers a lot of new designers feel feel disadvantaged because there's a lot of older uh, you know a lot of people who have been doing stuff for five or seven or ten years ahead of them in terms of using articulate and stuff and this actually is a really great way of leapfrogging ahead of these uh, these designers who are in front of you. So it's an incredible opportunity for anyone, especially new designers, to basically you know get a leg up on the competition and and be producing you know great content that does not have all the the bad habits of sort of the the people who came before them. So it's a cool opportunity. It just strikes me as a great way to practice the content and to identify with the the role that a student is trying to project themselves into. You're literally what you're, what you're talking about is huge because you are not that suddenly the expert is not the center of the universe the student is, and that change that you just mentioned is one of those incredibly profound things that we don't realize right away. What happens when the student becomes the center of the universe, not the expert? Exactly. Yeah, it's no longer just you know edicts and prescriptive information drips. It's you projecting yourselves into a, a situation and kind of living it in advance. It is fascinating. Again, I, I mean, the, the ability to do stuff simply and elegantly, you know, it's a very nice, uh, you know, it's a very good, simple model. And there's no question that you can, you know, just sort of say, great, let's do these not from now on, but let's do, you know, a third of what we do. Let's just have them be, be, um, be short sims. And again, it's amazing that people, people love creating them. People take pride in creating them. And again, it's not doggedness. That's the dominant model of, of why, what makes a good structural designer. Uh, but it's, you know, it's creativity, it's, it's, it's wit, it's cleverness, it's visual skills. It's really, it's, it's that is one of the most exciting things too, to see. Well, that doggedness, you know, it means you're <laughs> spending a lot of energy just trying to muscle through getting. Push the wet done. noodle up the hill, right? Yeah, exactly. Clark, thank you so much. So that's Short Sims, the book, shortsims.com. Clark, I'm grateful for your time today. You've been very generous with us. Thanks for joining us. What a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. To catch up on all of our shows, subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Learning Circle is produced and distributed by the Defense Acquisition University.